Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors, manufacturing in upstate New York, Golden Acrylics, Williamsburg Oils, and more recently, Core Watercolors, an employee-owned company committed to producing the highest quality materials while maintaining a culture of stewardship and community involvement. I've been using Golden for over 20 years, and I swear by it. For more information about Golden Artist Colors, visit them online at goldenpaints.com. Hannah Beerman holds a BA in studio art from Bard College and an MFA in painting from Hunter College. She was born in Nyack, New York in 1992 and lives and works in the East Village in New York City. She's been featured in Art Forum, Art News, Artnet, Document Journal, and more. She's been featured in many group shows nationally. She received the Spring 2020 Young Space Grant and earlier this year attended the Macedonia Institute Residency. She founded and runs the activist project Artists for Humans. Her solo painting exhibition with Cap Cap Gallery opened September 12th in New York City. I spoke to Hannah about adapting to the pandemic finding ways to help others, making paintings from what surrounds us, and much more. Here's our conversation. Cheers. Cheers! Oh, hi, um. How's your tropical storm going? Not, not, is it anything for you? Not really. Not yet. There's a little bit of wind. I mean, I, it does make me laugh when i got that did you ever get did you get emails from the gothamist i don't i thought um, you were gonna say new york city notify and i get those but i don't get the gothamist one. it's i subscribe just because the titles are so funny yeah they're always like you're gonna die new york city is <laughs> exploding um and uh well i actually have personally been waiting for a natural disaster because that's that's the third leg yeah there's the illness it's kind of like a the world is like breaking apart physically now you know yeah very post very world war ii <laughs> but uh i've got some wind going on over here for which i'm mighty grateful it's breezy it's they're basically i got you don't get the new york city notifies where they text you updates on everything i or like that I did when they're when they would say like really serious things and then they'd also send like today is alternate side parking isn't right effect. yeah those things <laughs> well I, they're they're like strapped down your patio furniture because it's gonna go you know that sort of thing oh I didn't get those no yeah it's gonna be windy well so where are you now you're in Brooklyn no I'm in uh the East Village oh right it sounds kind of fancy, but it's so, uh, it's so exotic, Manhattan. <laughs> I, I actually just made my first neighborhood friend, and I've been here for like almost over four years. Whoa, what took you so long? <laughs> I, I didn't realize that I was, I was, uh, do you know anyone who lives in Manhattan? Um, yeah, <laughs> sure, <laughs> I do. Well, I guess that's a me thing then. No, I mean, um, I, I definitely know more people in Brooklyn and Queens than Manhattan. But yeah, I mean, but I've been here for like over 20 years. So I've, you know, I've I've got some friends who've been in their spots for a long time, Yeah, which enables sort of, that to happen a little easier. I so I was living in a closet in Brooklyn and people use the word closet metaphorically. Mine was literal. Like... <laughs> You had to, there was like a was, bed that you had to like push up against a thing during the day because you couldn't move the door. A Murphy bed? I hope it was a walk-in closet. It was, it was. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some girth on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, didn't E.T. live in a closet for a couple of days? 
I picture that sort of situation where you're just like oh. huddled in there and behind a hamper of dirty clothes. Oh, I love him. Yeah, E.T. Um, my friend's mom, I, I, I give checks in my friend's name and then I Venmo her. Oh. But it's an amazing apartment. It's been passed down to women artists. Nice. It's like the 80s. What is is that like? Like, there's a, a statute there that like it leases into female artists, or was it just friends who give it to friends, sort of thing? Just okay, just, friends. just passed along. That's cool. Yeah. Do you how, wait? So you've been there four years. Um, let's just round to that because sure. it'll in the neighborhood, second, four so. years. Mm-hmm. And then, are you working where you live? Oh yeah, you want to? Yeah, well, yeah. You are working where you live. That's nice, especially given a pandemic, right? Short commute to the to the studio. <laughs> yeah, when I walk to pee in the middle of the night, I often make a hole in a canvas because it's dark and it's on the floor. So you step in, step in the art. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I get to make something coming out of it the next day. Right. Out of the hole. That sounds good. And, you know, in looking at your work, you do add a lot of what seems to be day-to-day objects into the work. So is the studio set up kind of conducive to that? Are, are you, you know, setting up your space to be more of like a place where art can just convene with life and the objects of life? You know, this thing called like a work-life balance yeah. thing? Yeah, I, I don't really have that. Never have. I think maybe psychologically people really push for that as a right. healthy thing. But no, um, I don't know that I really set up things just are kind of happening in here all the time. Um, there's a lot of chance. There's a lot of accidents. Well, I think the people who strive for a work-life balance, that's kind of predicated on the idea that work sucks and the rest of your life is yay. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I can't totally tell the difference between myself and my work. I can't tell the difference at all. Right. It's, It's one of the, like, so for you, your work is just kind of tied to your, I mean, it has a feel of that. I mean, in looking at it, it feels like it's, part of day-to-day activity you know or even when you're sleepwalking you're painting yeah you're a hard worker (laughs) (laughs) or like you know sometimes my paintings don't let me sleep and i have to like put them in the bathtub to hide them yeah it's like out of sight out of mind is the only time that they're out of mind sometimes yeah or sometimes yeah sorry no i was just gonna say if you had an external studio would that be like, how would that work as far as, you know, forced out of mind? I had one in graduate school. I went to Hunter. Yeah. And I finished uh, in January, I guess. Um, I think emotionally, sometimes it was hard to get there, actually. Yeah. To f- there was like a, like a hump in my mind about... worth or like self-worth in getting there like that I could the more things I have to think about before working the worse off I am like when I'm working the best thing situation for me is to like put on a lot of media not hear anything and then just work 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 and kind of the more hoops and like brain spirals moments of insecurity and moments of doubt and kind of anti-intuition make it harder for me so not only like a lot of times you think of an external studio one thing that's tricky about it is just the time you spend especially like in city 
the time you spend commuting to it, there's a lot of obstacles. Like I'm not that far from my studio. It's right over in Bushwick, but just getting there. Sometimes it's like the people, like the process of getting over there, you know, it's, it's a lot, you know what I mean? Even in a short amount of space, especially if it's like a busy day and there's a lot of people out and, but also emotionally you're saying, or psychologically too, it's, if you can just integrate it more into your day to day and you just wake up and it's there and you just go into that process. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, I'd show you, I was making this painting about, uh, do you remember Paul Bunyan? Paul Bunyan's of course. His yeah. painting, a painting about him last night in my bed. And now I have all this epoxy glitter on, on my legs. Oh boy. Yeah. But there's just something so I don't know, intimate and cozy about that. Do you um do you kind of find inspiration in artists from the past who kind of worked or celebrated that kind of merging of art and life together in a sort of seamless process of exploration? I find I find validation in those artists. Yeah. Like uh, Edith Wharton, I don't know if you're familiar, she's a writer. I don't know Edith Wharton. She was super loaded, and so she would write on this, like, huge loft bed. And um, she would write a page of work and then throw it to the ground, and a servant would come and pick it up. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look into her work. <laughs> Who are some other artists that you feel like have a working method, that kind of balance that you're intrigued by? Or inspired by, I should say. Well, when I was a kid, I, I saw the Combines, um, Rauschenberg, and I have recently, I, you know, I've recently learned about Molly Hart, Zuckerman Hartung. Mm-hmm. Um, and people bring up certain artists for me a lot. Um, you know, I love like the images of Matisse in his bed. Yeah. Working in bed. Yeah. But I always work on the floor. I mostly work on the floor. And the whole idea of bringing in objects is because for most of my life, I've been pretty broke. And when you start, at least when I started learning painting, you had to use oil paint and I couldn't keep up with it. And so... I saw objects as like pieces of paint, like not as metaphor or stand-ins to be analyzed as just like a quick, urgent, fast piece of paint that was already somewhere that I could just put down. Right. And I could afford because there's like a recycle. So does it, it seems like the idea of directness is really important to you in the work. Definitely. In the same way that like a song that has like these lyrics that are painting a story about someone, you know, that kind of narrative is one thing, but then sort of like a punk song about how you just tripped over a banana peel on the way in, on stage and you fell on top of your guitar. That's a little more direct than immediate. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, how did totally. well? How did this happen? So, where you grew up? You grew up in, or you were born in Nyack, says your bio. Is that where you? <laughs> is that where you went to school? Born and raised, born, or just born? Born and raised. I was a I was a scholarship student at a conservative Jewish day school, mm-hmm. where I thrived. Is this the Monzi area? I love that you know that. No, it was in uh, Westchester. Okay. Which is, I was like the kid from across the bridge. Right. And they didn't have art. They didn't teach art or anything. But they didn't have it. <laughs> they were out of stock. <laughs> they were out of stock. Yeah. Both my parents were artists. My grandma's an artist too. Oh, that's cool. And uh, my house is actually where Joseph Cornell was born. Really? Mm-hmm. So when you were talking about the house kind of, um, breaking down I was actually thinking about <laughs> um, and I was always like I would never be an artist who the hell would choose to do this and have kids what uh, 
and I was, and I went to college at Bard upstate. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll study literature and poetry. That's really <laughs> the conventional move for me. And the then, antithesis uh, <laughs> of being an artist is being a poet. <laughs> and um, then, I mean, I can be real. My best friend passed away who was an artist. And I left school for a while. I thought I was going to like drop out forever. Wait, when is this? In college? Yeah, when I was yeah. 21. And I left school. I never thought I was going to come back. And then I came back, but I still wanted to like hang out with her or something. So I would like bring my lunch to the art studio mm -hmm. where she always was. And before I dropped out, I'd only ever taken, you know, like 400 level classes in philosophy. And I'd only ever had a relationship with my computer. And so I took like, you know, 100 level drawing, 100 level painting. This is, and uh, like 100 level sculpture. And my whole life changed. Um, one big thing was with painting, I suddenly had all these things around me that I could punch and kick and talk to, and they would talk to me. And we had like real relationships with each other and I could get really mad at them and like put them in a timeout or cover them and we could get frustrated with each other. But we could also like be really in love or two paintings could fall in love and then they could have a fight. And then there could be like a third lover involved, a different painting. And I was so lonely for so long after my friend passed away, so isolated suddenly having this boxing arena this universe where i could really explore everything i wanted to explore and no one was going to die while i was doing that right was in there i mean in this world i mean it's the most addicting thing in the universe did your i i don't did your parents, so they, they were both artists, right? Uh-huh. Or they, they still are? Is that what they my dad is. My mom became a psychotherapist. They like met at Skowhegan. You know, who yeah. doesn't? Right, right. <laughs> who doesn't meet at Skowhegan? <laughs> but they're divorced. And so I feel like I would never apply there because I'm like, what the fuck is in the water over there? Uh, duck itch. That's what's in the water. <laughs> I would... <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm not ready for like a weird relationship, please. And thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. I, I mean, it's been a long time since I took part in that place. But Oh, so you already, <laughs> did yeah, you meet yeah, someone was, there? No, no. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I met people there, but I didn't meet a significant okay. other. <laughs> but yeah, they, when you said what's in the water there, it's a funny story because there's a lake there and everyone would go swimming and I never wanted to go swimming in a lake. I don't know. At that stage of my life, it was just wasn't what I wanted to do. And people would make fun of me and be like, why aren't you going to swim it? You know, and they all, most of the people got duck itch, which is some weird like rash thing from like duck poo or something. I don't know. <laughs> so that's what's in the water. <laughs> oh man, that'd be a great painting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would. It's a great painting title. Duck Everybody itch? got okay. duck itch. <laughs> Uh, so they met at Skowhegan, but, but did they, do you think that you have this um, ability to sort of play things out and to sort of create this world with artwork and then emotions and, you know, kind of dynamics play out in that world and there's a sort of safety to that. Like you said, like nothing's dying there. It's just kind of like, um, is that something growing up that they were doing? Like, were they practicing artists and they were, or was that, something you didn't really see much of i no no not at all 
maybe more with my mom because she was an analyst. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's a landscape painter, and the studio was upstairs, so he was kind of there all the time. And then, uh, like, of the Hudson Nerder School, and uh, my grandma's a printmaker. She's someone who like lives by the motto like nothing succeeds like excess you know i was really raised by these bohemian kooks yeah how did they get i'm so interested in how they like how did your dad end up a hudson river painter like was he he born here was he born in the u.s he was born in the u.s he was born in uh north carolina that's where he lives now and I guess maybe in college. I don't know. My my grandma's a printmaker, and he she became his printmaker. Yeah. Was um, she based in North Carolina too? Oh no, not his mom. My mom's mom in Nyack. Oh. We all live together. Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is so, an art, like an art stew of a family. Yeah, but also like an art tornado. I I thought it was an art t- tornado growing up, which is why I resented art so much and never wanted to be a part of it because it was like this kind of I saw it as like kind of tearing apart my family, you yeah. know. But actually they just happened to have been artists. Right. It was the setup, their personalities. It wasn't the art that was just, yeah, causing no, the that the, was the not drama. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, like my mom and my grandma, like old school New York Jews, mm-hmm. very mouthy. <laughs> That's not a word. It's a horrible word. And um, I, you know, me and my brother, very. Oh, my brother's a great musician. That's what he does. He plays music. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, my dad's paintings, I'll show you sometime. And he, is he still doing it? Yeah, yeah, that's all he's ever done. That's pretty cool. And wait, did you say that it was a conservative household? No, the, re- my house was very liberal. My house... No, no, the religi- religious who No, my, oh, ha- was my house school. was like, be whoever you want. Got it. Explore, and that's why... I fit in so well at school. Like I used to wear costumes to school sometimes. Like my family, <laughs> like I, like no one, they didn't know how to like fit in. So like no one, ever, like they were very encouraging of me. Or like sometimes these things were their ideas like for fun and they didn't realize like what would happen if you were like 14 and went to like a conservative Jewish day school. Um, like <laughs> wearing like multiple like bathrobes and like having a painted face like a dragon. You and know? That, that went over okay? <laughs> yeah, it went great. <laughs> It went great. No one made fun of me. I mean, it's presumptive, but when, you know, if you grew up in Nyack and you talk about conservative school, I my mind goes to Monzi and like orthodox and kind of like, you know, more strict. Yeah. And I was also, you know, experimenting a lot in terms of religion because at the time, I mean, the school was actually like pretty homophobic. Yeah. And um, I was like, but at the time I was like, I believe in God, you know, I'm young. And not that, not that those things are connected at all. Love and respect people. All the, um, I wore a yarmulke. I was the only girl who wore a yarmulke and everyone's like, she's a lesbian. She's a lesbian. And at that age, somehow that like is really hurtful. Yeah. No matter, like, I mean, what's true or not. Kind of sad sometimes how kids can be so, you know, judgy and cruel and, you know, kind of clicky and all that stuff. Those are, like, difficult waters, I think, to to get through. Yeah, but there's no duckage. Good point. Well played. (laughs) Good callback. (laughs) There is no duckage. So, there's always that, you know? That's true. I, I mean... Kids should know that while 
they might be getting bullied for their haircut. Just remember, there's no duck hitch yet until you apply to Skowhegan. And then you might get in and then you might meet someone and you might get all kinds of duck hitch. <laughs> I think, side note, <laughs> we're kind of like casting a shadow over Skowhegan. Skowhegan was one of the best experiences of my life, I have to say, just to put on the record. It's not just a place where you'll meet a a life partner that will drive you crazy and then you'll have a rash for the rest of your life you might just meet some really great people and and you know all of my favorite painters have gone to you i have facetime friends who, who are there it's a beautiful paradise and i love you Vegan. <laughs> i was just playing hard to get you know that's crazy that you were facetiming people because i remember not to date myself but when i was there there was like one computer that had internet that was like not really that great and um it must be so different now being able to be connected because like when i was there it felt so remote you know you felt like you were really out of the loop not to mention the cows that are right outside your studio which is pretty amazing oh man well shut up i'm totally gonna apply there right now (laughs) break the cycle you hear that scowhegan yeah you hear that scowhegan getting an application <laughs> and to be honest, I've thought about it a lot, and I will do it in the early. I'll do it in the early, the medium, or the late cycle. The twenty, sixty, eighty, or one twenty cost. Oh yeah. So I know what I. I've gone down that road. <laughs> well, to take it back to the school thing. Um, so eventually, like you were into poetry and like you got, you thought you were going yeah. in this sort of parallel creative field. Well, how did that manifest? Um, so in terms of poetry, there's this movement called Poets Theater. I got really interested in Arto. I mean, who doesn't? I, I have a folder. And I, can, I, well, I guess actually a lot of people don't. Um, it's like my favorite crush and he's completely always writing about how like sex is repulsive. Um, I got really interested in this, I could go grab the anthology, Kevin Killian wrote this anthology about poet theater, uh-huh. and it's, here's one example, uh, Frank O'Hara wrote this, this play called Try Try, and the ethos of which is that poets, anyone who's around, grabs the script, they read in front of them, and for costumes and things, they just grab like whatever's around them. Like this fan could be their hat. Nice. And that completely, that, uh, and then when I dropped out of school, I made my family um, pose as great paintings, like all of the Manet paintings, we reenacted them mm-hmm. with costumes in the, Poets Theater uh, style. And then when I started painting, all of that came in. Uh, For a while, I thought about painting as costumes because it was a way, I felt like my paintings were saying a lot. My paintings are always talking a lot about what they want to, about what's going on, or they're sometimes loud and sometimes really actually whispering. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were wearing costumes too. And in terms of how I arrange words and how I write, it's the same way that I make paintings. Well, so the poetry was kind of like, there was a dynamic within that that you kind of pushed into the life of painting, right? But yeah. when, did, when did that happen? Were you still in college at that point or was it after yeah, undergraduate? Yeah, it was my last year of college. Did you have some professors there that you responded to well and that, yes. you know? Yes. One teacher is actually became my like best friend in the universe. Do you know Lisa Sanditz? I don't. Sorry. Oh my God. Well, you should. I should. Definitely. <laughs> and um, she like radically changed my life. And also I had this great professor, Joe Santori. Yes. I know Joe Santori. Yeah. And I had this great professor, Jeff Gibson. Mm-hmm. And we're still in touch. I like, you know, babysat for his kids still, like, when it comes to the city. Uh, Julianne Schwartz, sculptor. Who I went to Skowhegan with. 
Shut up. See, my favorite people have gone there. She's like on the board too. Oh, Carolee Schneeman went there too. She she's my friend. Was, she's passed away. Yeah. Um amazing artist. Ama- yeah. I mean, that's understating it, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, those are the folks that I got to study with because I didn't study art for so long. Oh, Ken Bueller was there, who my mom knows from Skowhegan. again. <laughs> um, yeah, there this, was. This podcast is just for the record is not sponsored by Skowhegan. <laughs> Do you hear that, Skowhegan? <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe Santori is amazing. I took a class with Jeff about camp. Ate that shit up. <laughs> Fuel for the fire, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Joe is, you know, the, the way he thinks about paint is, I think, how I found objects as like paint next to paint objects. And then I studied with him at the New York Studio School mm-hmm. too for a while. So I have a bunch of figurative paintings. Nice. And Lisa. Um, yeah, totally like believed in me as a person mm-hmm. and that I gave me a lot of freedom. It's all it takes, right? Is it just like a little bit of support? You can have like that one professor that gets behind you and sort of, you know, gives you that reason to keep going. Even and if then, there's a handful where like, you, do you know what you're doing? And this might not be cut out for you. It just takes that one positive voice that kind of like propels you. Yeah. Thank God for those people. Yeah. That was my experience in grad school, too. Yeah. EJ Hauser. Oh, yeah. Well, when did, so did you take a break in between? Sorry, I don't know the years, but was there time yeah. in between undergrad and grad? And like, what were you doing and how did you decide what to do? Yeah, I took a time. Well, I took time, time off, I guess we can call it, because I went back in the middle of Bard. Yeah, And then when I finished BART, I didn't know what to do. So actually, Jeff offered me a job, Jeff Gibson. Mm-hmm. So I was working in his studio, and I was working for Carolee uh, and babysitting and helping people move and, like, painting walls and working in a grocery store, like a very, very upscale grocery store, you know, very mm-hmm. Hudson style. Yeah. Uh, and then I was in a relationship that was really not a good place to be. And I, I mean, this isn't, maybe this is embarrassing. I Googled like what grad schools are still open and taking applications. And (laughs) (laughs) that's how I applied to grad school. It was just Hunter. (laughs) And um, yeah, I was really lucky. And I got to move back home, you know, to crown to the closet. Yeah. And I got to meet some incredible people. And was your studio up in up on 68th or, or up? No, they were actually in tri- in uh, It was Tribeca. the Tribeca ones, yeah. Yeah. And they bring in a lot of visiting art, like great visiting artists. It's a good program. So did you like that stint? Was it two years? Actually, it's three years. It's a three-year program, yeah. That's a good amount of time. And a nice studio space in the city, which is good to get your feet under you, right? I mean, I think, I think that's the one and only time that that'll happen. And uh, hell yeah. And you get to have really smart, brilliant humans around you who come in and talk to like the student body like is amazing yeah and we're all there together yeah that's kind of i think a maybe under advertised part of because a lot of people poo poo grad school and you know you don't need it and that can very well be true for a lot of people but one thing that is nice about and you know i went to university too so it was more than just like art school like it is all the different people you meet in different areas and that different kind of influence is nice you know yeah so did you go 
tell me about your experience. No, oh, that's not interesting. <laughs> oh, well, I, okay. No, Later. no, I, I, went to, I went to Penn State for undergraduate school, which was a huge school. So, what you know, did you study? Art. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then I went to Yale for graduate school, which is art again. And but it's, very but it's tiny. Yeah, but it was, you know, the architecture students, the design students, and the undergrads that I hung out with who were, you know, studying engineering or medicine, like all those different people. It's such a great, you know, time to have all those people in your studio and you're trying to figure things out. And it's just, it kind of like, you know, it feels like, you know, a, a kitchen in a restaurant that's really like bubbling and cooking a lot of stuff. And, you know, I think that's a it's good for your formative years to like have that energy, you know? Yeah. The best part for me, I felt, I felt so much like real love with some people, you know, yeah. like real love and real friendship. Actually, a lot of them have been on this and that was kind of what got me through that. Yeah. It's a, it's, um, I think it's a good, it's a critical time, you know, for like, developing you know and sort of finding mm -hmm. your voice so what was it like when you got out from all that like being in the city for three years making all that work and then then what was that a oh. harsh because I, I don't know I, I it's it's really harsh I think whenever you you know graduate from school and you're not in New York City and then all of a sudden you or you're not in Los Angeles and people who have plans to move to a city that's kind of a big shift Totally. and daunting but like you were really in the heart of it you know and then like now you get the boot from your studio and what was that like well i personally have had like a pretty particular experience because the day after i moved out i left for a residency upstate mm -hmm. and then about a week after i came back from the residency it was the covid lockdown Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> so I've had, uh, and I was at this residency with one other artist, Sarah. She's amazing. But, you know, it was isolated. It was just us. Yeah. And then when I came here back home, it was just me. I nanny for a couple families. Oh, in general. And I do catering jobs and a lot of odd jobs and teach also art after school for preschoolers mm -hmm. so all that was done uh, none, none of that's happening right yeah that was pretty scary yeah yeah it's and, odd to be to be isolated or kind of like in a residency where you're off the or you know out of that loop and then to come back to the city and then be isolated in a completely different way yeah, it was scary, you know, because I was still kind of applying for things. And it's not a moment people want to, you know, meet a stranger and... Take anything new on, right? Right. Because yeah. The, but I started a project during that time yeah. called, Art, called Artists for Humans. So that's um, when it started. Mm-hmm. Because I really wanted to go... Uh, hang out and bring food to older people who lived alone mm -hmm. but I have my own health stuff and I couldn't do that and I realized that money is actually helpful you know especially if you can't be there in person and I don't really have a, a lot of access to all that stuff but I do have access to my friends right and yeah that kind of took off we've made like almost $210,000. Nice. So, so tell, can you tell people about like what, how you started it, what it is, what it does and you know, yeah. the details of it? Sure. It's an Instagram account and it's just a platform. Like I'm just kind of a matchmaker and guys, if you're artists and want to be part of it, email artistsforhumans at gmail.com. I might not be able to answer because there's a lot of emails. Um, so let's say Brian does it. He'll just email or he'll just text me the image and the information and the cause he wants the money to go to. A hundred percent of the money goes there. And um, then I post it on this Instagram account that 
has gotten some traction. I don't understand Instagram actually, but it works in this way. And uh, then when someone buys it, they make the, the, the donation to the organization that Brian chose. And then when that checks out, Brian and the buyer are connected via a group email and Brian mails it from his studio. It's a pretty great idea. I think, and I think the, you know, the reason that kind of stuff works so well is once you get a core momentum of people doing it and it's a good cause, it's like all those artists, all when they share it, you know, all their friends see it and they kind of, you know, share it with their friends. And then it just kind of like, that's the thing about Instagram or I guess social media that can be a positive. I mean, there, there's certain negatives that can happen, but the positive is, you know, this connectivity that can happen in a more direct way. It totally gives me hope for the future. And it makes me really proud of the art family, you know? Yeah. Totally. We're an unstoppable force. Exactly. What and can't we do? And, it's what's so impressive is that you know artists just traditionally don't make a ton of money for the most part yeah. and don't have a lot don't have a lot of resources but they're all willing to sort of donate and to you know that's very heartening i think yeah and it makes me feel like we can we're so powerful by just being who we are yeah because you know if you sell usually you get like 50 percent, and then there's tax and then you need someone you can only give so much, but this is, you can fully give. Yeah. A hundred percent. Feels good. Yeah. You get to cut out that middleman process with it, which is really a genius move on your part for this project. Uh, thanks. It's anyone would have thought. Yeah, but yeah, anyone can think it, but to do it is another thing. And it helps that you're connected and you know, you know, some, pretty great people to get the ball rolling i mean to be honest like when i first started doing the podcast it was just you know i just wanted to talk to friends and you know i like listening to podcasts and i would never really hear a lot of art ones where it was casual so you start with your friends and you know and then they tell their friends and then before you know it you you know it gets out there to the right people i think and you know the community kind of takes care of itself and helps each other like maybe the second day, someone I hadn't met in person who was so generous, Eddie Martinez, yeah, yeah, reached out to me. He donated a couple of pieces. That's I cool. mean, these things are like for the heart, you know? Yeah. And some sweet teenagers email me like, do you need an intern? Do you need someone to help you? That's I mean, cool. there's some really beautiful stuff. Yeah, totally. That's great. So it gave you some... You know, I mean, not that, like you're you're starting this project to help other people, but in a way, I'm sure it feeds your soul. Totally. It makes you feel good it's in the time. It's a total lifeline. I mean, it's a total lifeline because when the pandemic started, I felt like, I mean, I was just sleeping all the time and I wasn't doing great. And after George Floyd was murdered i mean i can't even go into all those feelings but at some point something shifted where i started to feel like all the work we're doing we're not totally totally screaming into a void yeah like we're going out there every day every you know we're and um so many amazing leaders that I'm learning from and so many young leaders. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's so much to do, but th- there was a kind of cool moment when things started to, I felt like people, I mean, we all felt, I think that people were starting to listen a little bit. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I, it was, I didn't, honestly, I didn't expect that. But what's the other option? Like, not be hopeful, not fight? Right. But, um, yeah. But that well, was- uh, it seems like a great project that that is, you know, not only helped other people, but it, I'm sure it's, yeah, I think more people 
would be better served to understand or to to have that feeling of doing something. I know a lot of times people think, well, what can I do? And it doesn't have to be this monumental thing. You know what I mean? It can be a small gesture, but it makes you feel so much better too to be able to oh, help yeah. out and do something. No, it's totally, totally. It's it's not a selfless thing. Yeah. I I did it to kind of channel my own feelings, you know? I just want to clarify what I was saying about Black Lives Matter and people hearing us. I, I meant like the government and right. people across. I mean, only a few, but there are some responses. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes I know this is not shared as a totally different thing, but a lot of times people will say, oh, thanks for, you know, I enjoy the podcast. And, you know, it's um, it's so generous what you do. I for agree. all these artists and these voices and i'm like that's sounds great but really it i i love doing it it's very selfish of me like i love talking to people and it's such a great fun thing and it makes me feel really you know like it, it feeds my soul so i i would love to say that yes i'm just doing this for the greater good of the yeah. art society i i mean yeah it's great that it gets out there but i also love doing it you know it's fun you know that's me. kind of a puritanical concept you know yeah of like selfishness and this idea that the hierarchy is serving the greater good at the cost of the self like let's right. let's let's rewrite that yeah and the word selfishness has all these connotations yeah because these are all really important things and all good things to be celebrated Totally. Yeah. Like you can, you can go out there and take all your food from your house and feed people who don't have any food, which is and, great, which is great. But then you could feel empty and fatigued and tired and you don't have any food left and you've done anything. Or you can just, you know, create a giant meal and you yourself can eat and everyone can eat and everyone feels better. You know what I mean? It's, you can yeah. feed your own soul as you feed, you know, the soul of the society, I think. Yeah, there's there's a combination. I tend to have burnout a lot because I forget to do the eating myself. Yeah. And that's not helpful for anyone because I need to do that in order to continue the work. Right. You know whose Instagram I really <laughs> Do you know the musician Mickey Blanco? I mean, I think of them as so much more than a musician. I don't They're know. They're an incredible I... artist. Incredible no, political activist. I will look them up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, well, that, that transitions to something else that I want to ask you about too. So your brother's a musician. So music, is that something that was big for you? Like growing up, was it in the house? Or how did that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, music was big? Yeah, super big. I mean, my folks, <laughs> well, the way I used to wake up at some point, talk about, it's funny that I went to a Jewish religious school. You know, Al Green had this church. Yeah. So we would listen to that gospel album. It was like my alarm clock often. That's pretty good stuff. It's great. Yeah. That'll set you up for a great day. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Little Al Green in the morning. Yeah. And then uh, my folks were really into Motown and Soul. Yeah. So that was pretty strict on the downstairs floor. Right. Um, and then upstairs, I actually had a music blog I ran under a secret name and pretended I was older. <laughs> really? I don't know how no one caught this. Yeah, and I actually got paid um, by some people. I would like, I'm not going to say what it is because it's super embarrassing and I deleted everything off the internet. Right. But pretty much I was really inspired by the film Almost Famous, which oh, yeah. I reenacted. <laughs> and um, I would go into the city and see lots of bands. And if you get a certain kind of like press pass, it's free. Yeah. And then just like write reviews. And I have no credentials, but yeah. You're getting to see all this live music and you were writing about it and writing is a generous word i mean i was 16 i don't know what i was doing you were talking about it loosely yeah I yeah was... last night saw a band yeah um 
yeah no music's so important to me i mean how else do you get through all of this my sentiments exactly but once in a while i meet someone who doesn't really listen to music so what yeah it's always perplexing to me but it happens um i you know what i've been listening to a lot recently what's that salt and pepper oh yeah <laughs> they're my favorite stuff. i like to pretend that what a man what a man what a mighty good man because it came out in 1994 and i was born mm -hmm. in 1992 i just like to pretend that that song is written about me <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it was <laughs> Um, Salt and Peppa. That's yeah, good stuff. Do you like great. La Trim? Do you remember them? Well, not remember. Do you know La Trim? No. Oh, there's a whole... Yeah. Hook it up! Yeah, I'll send you some, some stuff. Um, these days I've been listening to the Stooges mostly. Sure, that goes right alongside Salt and Peppa. It's a good, <laughs> counter, it's a good right. counterbalance. It's like sweet and savory. Um... <laughs> I love Iggy Pop so much. I saw him once in real life and we were wearing the same shoes. And oh, really? I've never taken off those shoes. Well, it's like the classic blonde stone. Right. And I was like... Me and Iggy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to start calling him Jim now because I feel like we're on that level. <laughs> um, I'll, yeah, I can think about... My, my brother's band's great. It's called Sipper. Uh-huh. Um... What have you been listening to? These? Oh, I've been listening to the Studio 54 compilation. Oh, wow. Oh. Is, that, is that disco stuff? Yeah, because I yeah. started painting nonstop at night. Like I had, and uh, La Tigra a lot. It's great. And they name dropped County Steeman in one of their songs. I know. And also Carol Rama, who's like my number one favorite artist. And Yayoi Kusama. Yeah. I love La Tigra. I mean, I, I've from a long, long time. Okay, I would love. I would. JD Sampson has been in not one but two of my dreams. Oh really? I'm like, uh, hey, I think I. <laughs> <laughs> La Tigra is great, right? So good. I think that was amazing. Oh, so like Bikini Kill also. Um, Julie Ruin. Mm-hmm. I, I love all that stuff. I'm looking at my Spotify. I've been listening to, wow. Oh, my friend Max band, Super Chunk. Oh. Do you know them? I mean, of course I know Max. I mean, I know who Mac is and I've seen Super Chunk play live back in the day for, I mean, On the Mouth, which is, you know, was like uh, in my undergraduate I would say my first couple of years of undergraduate school on the mouth was played so much that CD. We played it so much that we actually like burnt it out. Like it wouldn't work anymore. We had to go get another version of it. Right on. Yeah. Mac is the best. I met him through artists for humans and oh, we've been cool. like brainstorming and working together and all these things. And my friend Mackenzie, she's her music name is Torres. Yeah. Oh, here's another, <laughs> my favorite movie soundtrack from the greatest film ever made, Clueless. Oh, I don't know what's on that soundtrack. Just like tons of funny pop, but like also Bowie. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of, oh, Prince. Prince is like top. Okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to send you some Spotify links to some stuff that's tangentially related to some of the stuff that I think you'll like. Awesome. I also love Yoko Ono. This one, oh, up like approximate infinite universe. I have to admit, as knowing Yoko as an artist, I just haven't listened to a ton of her music. Okay, I'll send you this album. It's so good. Okay. I mean, she's great. I just, I haven't dug it. You know, there's people like that sometimes that, like even Bowie, like I love Bowie, but I haven't like called his discography and listened to like the deep cuts. Sir, I know, I know. I I'm suggest... a bad human being. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. We're all very different. It's and not that, that I don't like Bowie. I love Bowie. I just haven't, you know. I mean, oh, and Roxy music. That's all I've been listening to this month. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I gave no, too no. much information. That's not TMI. 
You're good. <laughs> That's the least TMI I've been on this. So you're, so you're, you're just side note, your brother's band, what kind of music does he play? And is he a drummer? Uh, well, he plays all the instruments and nice. he sings and he writes it. Um, so yeah, he's a drummer. Is it he's rock-ish? Yeah, it's like mellow rock. Um, maybe like kind of on the indie pop side mm-hmm. of things. Sounds Sipper. reasonable. Yeah. yeah, S-I-P-P-E-R. We'll check it out. Yeah, I highly recommend. So um, are you in the midst of this pandemic? Are you making work? Are you finding solace in, in working on stuff? Well, at first I was kind of like, fuck every single person on Instagram who's like, well, before I was like, fuck them. I was like, everyone's like, artists real life like painting alone artists in quarantine painting alone or they were like quarantine a free residency and i was like really because all i want to do is jump out a window so i do not relate to any of this i was like am i the worst artist like i just i'm so alone i don't like this and when i say i was asleep for like three or three months that's not an exaggeration because i could run artists or humans you know in my underpants in my bed from my phone right um and i have a show coming up next month Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know something you know what after george floyd died was murdered i think i started making a bunch of flags um for folks to hang out their windows and I was mailing those around. Oh yeah. And then after, yeah, George Floyd was murdered. I got kind of this manic energy and anger. Yeah. Um, and kind of unstoppable force where I was marching and painting and working and that's still there. Yeah. I think it's, it's it's kind of difficult everyone channels their grief or anxiety or you know grief any kind so of grief real. like people channel it in different ways some people go to the studio and work and they enjoy like being able to turn off everything and just focus on the work and it becomes kind of therapeutic some people just don't want anything to do with it and need a break and they need to be sort of more at peace before they go back into doing work. I think different people have different ways of relating to, you know, a current situation or any situation. So it's, it's hard because some people will be like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the studio. I'm doing fine. You know, and that's just their way of coping with all the anxiety about everything else. You know, it's interesting you bring up grief because I think given my history specifically about how I started painting, I think grief is really connected to it. Yeah. Because also humor is very important to me in my work. Um, the Marx Brothers are very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of have all that stuff connected to grief and suffering too. Right. Yeah, it's kind of all tangled. But what's nice is when I look at your work, I don't see that it doesn't appear that you're trying to illustrate any of that. It just feels like a mini tornado of stuff happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not necessarily sorted out. So I love when you sent me the photo of your studio. <laughs> it didn't it didn't appear to be tidally sorted out. It was more of like a, a whirlwind of of motion and expression and objects and yeah. you know and where it lands it lands, but it didn't seem like you were fussing too much and it was more about the energy. That's totally about the energy. That's where I sleep too. And um, the paintings all share parts, like they've all been on each other. I work on paintings for months. I mean, I'm sure other people do too. Yeah. Other, <laughs> that's a stupid thing to say. I was trying to explain to someone yesterday, they're like, you make paintings in a day. I was like, no, dude. Um, I hold on to them forever and they're they're always changing taking like they're cheating on themselves with another painting taking little 
Well, they're like stealing moments or tricks from a different painting. What makes sense that if you feel like the paintings are alive, that it takes a long time for them to move on or to be quote unquote done because they're just always changing and they can always, you know, have that life to them. Like if you had a show and one painting was sent, like after the show, you got the painting back, you, I could imagine you could just keep working on it. For sure, for sure. So it's not like it, you know, it ever stops necessarily. It's the living thing and doing its, doing its thing, you know? Yeah. You're just the painting matchmaker in a studio. <laughs> <laughs> Except they really, they really are demanding. They really take a lot out of me. Whoa, a giant painting just fell. Yeah, yeah. It's breezy it, in your studio. Yeah, and one of, I mean, like the win one of the windows doesn't close. <laughs> <laughs> Ever? No, never. Um, but I really want to keep a low profile. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. No one's listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No one will ever know that your window doesn't close all the way. I don't ever want to like ask the super to do anything because I'm I'm not who I say I am here. Right. So. Well, where so where's the show you have? It's when at this awesome gallery called Catch Cap. It's uh -huh. in Tribeca. It opens on September twelfth. Um. Yeah, that's thing. That's me. exciting. Um, yeah, it's my first show since school. Uh, I'm I'm really excited, and they're really cool. They're gonna let me kind of like live there ish, like the week before, so I get to really like set up and see Work what's happening to what. Yeah, and like nice. create an ecosystem because I'll probably want to maybe make like one or two more based on how it's looking and. Right. Things are intersecting. Well, that's great. So, Cap Cap is that gallery, September. Yeah. And then people can follow you, your name at Instagram, and then Artists for Humans. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> Cap Cap K A P P K A P P. Do you hear everything falling? I do. It sounds like you have like a, a large rodent running around in, in your studio. It's it's so so to block the window. I have this like nine or ten foot canvas stretcher that I stretched that I put over the window. Oh, it's that open. Yeah, it's completely like it's open. Open, open. Not like yeah. a cracked thing that won't shut no. all the way. No, that's the rest of the windows. This one is completely open. Nice. Listen, it was great to talk to you. Thanks so you much too. for doing what you do. And uh, everyone too. should go check out Artists for Humans. And then I'm I'm taking part in it. I'm going to give you or put something up there to, to offer. And everyone should. And uh, good luck with the show. Thanks. And the tropical storm. Clo try to close the window if you can. Or do something to put I'll, up like, there. I'll duct tape that painting, I think, to the... That'll do it. Duct yeah. tape, oh, it's better than duckage. Better than duckage, better than yes paste sometimes. Yeah, duct tape. All right, much love. Thank you. Thank you. Great to talk. Yeah. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Many thanks to Hannah Behrman. Check out Artists for Humans and her upcoming solar painting show at Cap Cap Gallery in Tribeca. It opens September 12th. Many thanks to Michael Lovett for the introduction, Evan Marion for the intro-outro music. And many thanks to all you for listening. You can support the podcast by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and a review. It goes a long way at helping spread the word about the podcast. You can also share it with anyone you think might be interested in hearing these artists and musicians talk about their lives. You can check out images on Instagram at Sound and Vision Podcast. You can find out more about my work at brianalfred.net or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. A couple plugs of things that I have going on coming up. 
I just released a new animated video for the artist Poolside, a Los Angeles-based musician, and it's a collaboration with Panama, and the song is called Kinda Lovely. You can find that online if you follow at Poolside to check out a link to the animation video. I have another music video coming out very soon that I can let you know about upcoming group show at Miles McHenry Gallery and a curated show in November at Miles McHenry Gallery that I am working on. So many things going on. Thanks so much for your support. Drop a line. You can send an email if you have any feedback. And we've got lots of great episodes coming up. Some really great people lined up. And not only artists, but some really great musicians that I'll be talking to too. So stay tuned. Thanks so much.